Chapter Fifteen of Dawn of the Morning. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Like Many Waters. Dawn of the Morning by Grace Livingston Hill. Chapter Fifteen. Do they all know and understand? Whispered Dawn to Charles as they turned to walk up to the house. Betty fluttering ahead, carrying Don's handbag and silk cape. Yes, they all know and understand, dear. It is all right, said Charles reassuringly. Old Mr. Winthrop stooped and kissed her as she came up the steps, and said, Welcome home, daughter. Cordelia and Madeline, too, made her warmly welcome. Just behind them stood Aunt Martha, with arms spread wide to receive her in a motherly embrace. Mother is lying down resting now, explained Betty, and she sent word she would see you after supper. They bore Dawn off to the second story, where Betty took entire possession of her and showed her the rooms they had hastily prepared. For, of course, Harrington had not intended bringing his prospective bride home, and Betty and her sisters had much ado to put things in bridal array after their own arrival home from the wedding. "'We'll get some of these pictures and things out of your way tomorrow, so you will have room for your own things. But we hadn't much time tonight, you know. We got home only two hours ahead of you, if we did come by a shorter cut.' "'Horses cannot travel as fast as railroad trains, I guess,' chattered Betty. "'Do you think you will be comfortable tonight? "'Or I could take some more things out if you want to unpack your own,' she added anxiously. Dawn looked around on the exquisitely appointed rooms, the great bedroom with high canopied bed, curtains, and valance of blue-flowered chintz to match the window draperies, the wallpaper of dreamy landscapes with hazy blue skies and rivers winding like blue ribbons among sunny hills.' the fine old mahogany furniture, the little glow of fire in the open fireplace, with the great stuffed chintz-covered chair drawn up before it, all seemed like heaven to her. Through the open door one entered a hastily improvised private sitting-room. The girls had had the furniture taken from the connecting bedroom, and in its place had put a desk, reading-table, chairs, and bookcase of mahogany. Candles burned brightly everywhere in silver candlesticks, with tall glass candle-shades over them, some books and papers were scattered on the table, and a comfortable chair stood ready for someone to occupy. The rooms could not have been more homelike. And all this was for her and him. She caught her breath with the happiness of it, and a pink tinge stole into her cheeks. "'Do you think you can be happy here?' Betty asked anxiously. "'Oh, happier than I ever was in my life,' cried Dawn. "'Only it seems too beautiful to be true. It seems as if I was dreaming.' and in a pretty little way she had, when she was surprised and pleased, she clasped her hands over her heart. "'Oh, I'm so glad,' said Betty, and let me whisper a secret. "'I always loved Charles more than Harrington. Charles is a dear.' Dawn's eyes shone with her deep joy. "'Oh, do you?' was all she could say. But she wished she dared tell Betty that she was a dear also. Then her little sister-in-law went away and left her to wash her hands and smooth her hair for supper, and in a moment Charles came in. Dawn stood in the middle of the room, looking about, her eyes shining, the firelight glimmering over her dark hair and bringing out the green lights in the silk frock she wore. She looked so young and sweet and dear as she stood there alone, taking in the picture of her new home, that Charles paused to watch her, and then came softly up and folded his arms reverently about her, drawing her close. It was a long, beautiful moment of perfect bliss, the memory of which stayed with the two through all that came afterward. Their lips met and sealed the sacredness of their union. But Betty's voice broke in upon the joy. "'Charles, the supper is getting cold, and you know I told you to bring her down at once. Come quick!' 
Reluctantly, they prepared to go. One minute, Betty, Charles called. I must wash my hands first. Charles, you know you are just admiring your wife and not hurrying a bit, called back saucy Betty. Do make haste. I want to admire her myself. Before we go down, Don, I must say one word. Don't let them know anything about your not knowing. They think that you understood it all and were willing. I can't see how it happened. Mrs. Van Rensselaer went upstairs last night to tell you all about Harrington, and to take my offer to you, and when she came down she said you wanted to think it over. The deep color came in Dawn's cheeks, and the flash into her eyes. She did not speak to me last night after you came, she said, but in the morning, after I saw you in the garden, did she tell you nothing then? She only talked to me about the wedding, and told me I must not look up during the ceremony, that it was not nice. That seemed to be the only thing she cared about. Did she tell you at all about Harrington? Not a word, except that I ought to go down and talk with him before the ceremony. Was he asking for me? The dark eyes took on their frightened look. Charles frowned heavily behind the big damask towel with which he was drying his face. Never mind, dear. Harrington has behaved outrageously, but we will not talk about it now. I'm ashamed to call him my brother. Oh, he is your brother, isn't he? said Don, suddenly perceiving the fact. Of course. Didn't you know even that? What could the woman have been thinking about? What object could your mother possibly have had in not telling you everything? Charles! Betty's voice was insistent now. Yes, Betty, just ready, answered Charles impatiently. She is not my mother, you know, and she never liked me, said Dawn in a low voice, as if she were ashamed of it all. Never mind, dear, let's forget it now and be happy. He stooped and drew her face against his for just an instant, and they went out to the impatient Betty. Downstairs it was all gaiety and brightness. Once Charles said, with a soft light in his eyes, I'm sorry mother couldn't be down tonight. How is she feeling now? And Dawn looked at him in awe and love, and thought how beautiful it was to have a mother that one longed to have about. Your mother will be all right in the morning, I think, answered his father, with just a tinge of sadness in his voice, and a quietness settled over them all for a moment. Dawn thought it was because they loved her so much, and were sorry she was sick. We didn't ask any of the neighbors in tonight, because we thought you would be so tired, and it would be better to wait till you were rested, so we could have a real party and do things up nicely, not in such a hurry. They don't even know yet that Charles is married, you know. Betty's voice gushed into the pause that had come in the conversation, as if she wished to fill it quickly, no matter with what. Yes, that's right, approved Charles. We don't want a lot of folks around. We just want you folks for a while. After supper, Cordelia took Dawn up to their mother's room. Dawn's heart beat high with hope. She had caught but a glimpse of Charles's mother that morning, and did not remember clearly how she looked. The young bride's heart went out to her with a double love, because her own lost mother had been so dear. Mrs. Winthrop was lying in a great bed with a rose-colored canopy. The bed curtains were of white starched dimity, and the white linen all about her made her look like some delicate flower in an elaborate vase. The canopy threw seashell tints on the delicate complexion that had not darkened in spite of years, and the rosy light from the open fire on the other side of the room played over her beautiful white hair that was carefully arranged in curls on her cheeks. The bedgown she wore was of homespun linen, fine and elaborate in make. Her small patrician hands were glowing with rare jewels. The delicate face was that of a beautiful woman, beautiful yet in spite of the fact that she had grown old, beautiful and proud yet lovable. She looked like some rare bit of Dresden china, perfect of its kind, and perfectly cared for. Dawn paused on the threshold shyly and admired her. Then she came forward at Cordelia's introduction, but instead of taking the delicate hand that was held out coldly to greet her, 
she stooped over impulsively and kissed her new mother she had never done such a thing to any one since her own mother died but she wanted to give her best to charles's mother she was so glad to-night sit down the high-bred voice commanded politely yes there in the chair where i can see you cordelia you need not remain dawn sat down and there was a pause until the door closed after cordelia somehow the young wife's heart began to sink a little the room was so very large the bed was so high and big the beautiful old lady so small and far away and her smile was so like a picture madame winthrop turned her handsome eyes with an uncordial coolness upon her new daughter-in-law and looked her through she was a loving and lovable woman at times but she did not seem so now i have sent for you she spoke the words with deliberation and incisiveness to tell you that i forgive you don gasped and looked at her in amazement but the lady paid no heed to her only further to fix her with her eyes and went on i did not think it would be possible at first but i have conquered my feelings and am now willing to forgive you don could do nothing but look at the woman in horror her tongue seemed tied at last she stammered out for what that is an entirely unnecessary question said the cool voice you surely know how much trouble you have made it is absurd to ignore it or try to gloss it over it seems strange that one so young as you should have had the power to make my poor impulsive boy forget his duty you should have known but then i have forgiven you and i will say no more about that you are very beautiful i must admit and harrington was always one who admired beauty but i feel sure that of himself he would never have gone as far as he did however as i say we will not talk of that i have forgiven it together of course with your other offences and it is of the consequences of those that i feel it my duty to speak to you don sat watching her fascinated as is a bird sometimes when it keeps its eyes on a cat and is unable to move it seemed to her she would scream if she only had the power but the power of speech was gone for the time being you know of course that charles is very young he isn't really a full-grown man yet he hasn't finished his college course you ought to understand that you must in no way interfere with his life to spoil it it ought to be enough for you that you have accepted his generous offer when he was sorry for your being jilted by his brother and kindly offered to take his place so as to save you from the mortification of having no wedding i haven't any idea that charles really expected you to think of it for a moment but he is warm-hearted and always ready to offer help in any distress it would have been far more seemly in you to decline the offer and in your people to insist upon you doing so if you did not know enough to do it yourself but that is now too late to mend so we will not speak of it and as i have said i have fully forgiven it what is unalterable is always best forgiven if possible what i wish to say is this having married my son under these most extraordinary circumstances it becomes you to be most modest and retiring and hereafter to put aside every personal consideration in order that he may not be held back from his natural ambitions i hope you get my meaning a crimson flush had been stealing up into dawn's cheeks and the steel lights were coming into her eyes but she was unable as yet to make any reply the cool elder voice went on with the torture i am willing as i say to forgive you but i shall expect from you docility and a willingness to be guided by me in everything as long as you remain in my house which will of course be at least as long as my son remains in college and as much longer as he deems wise afterward i thought it was best for you to understand everything thoroughly at the start having robbed one of my sons of his happiness 
and robbed me of the other one it is becoming that you should walk circumspectly in every way i have of course forgiven you but it is a terrible thing which you have done stop dawn sprang to her feet her hands clasped her face white with anger the lightning in her eyes you are saying things that are not true you are blaming me for what i have not done i will not hear another word of it i did not want to marry your son harrington he came after me while i was in school and tormented me to marry him afterward he told my father and made him think it was all fixed between us and father wrote and gave his consent and they planned the wedding and everything without asking me a thing about it i did not want to go home because i was frightened i did not want to be married i knew father would be angry if i should break it off after everything was arranged he is very proud and has a terrible temper but i dreaded it so that i was almost crazy i don't know yet how it came about that harrington didn't come to the wedding no one has told me and i hadn't thought to ask i was so glad to find i wasn't married to him i didn't know anything about being married to your other son i thought i was being married just as it was planned to to harrington i don't know how that happened either i haven't had time to ask charles yet i just found out a few minutes ago that he and i had been married that is a highly improbable story began the astonished woman in the bed you will not gain anything by telling me tales like that nothing but the strict truth is ever spoken in this family you will only bring trouble upon yourself by telling what is not true besides you certainly know that i would not believe a thing like that in the first place why shouldn't you want to marry harrington he certainly is as good as you are and the very idea that a girl in her senses could be married without her own consent it would be impossible to be married and not know it Don stood quite still for a full minute surveying her antagonist the beautiful color had flown into her cheeks again at mention of untruth but as was her wont in moments of great provocation she had herself under perfect control the elder woman acknowledged to herself that the girl was very beautiful and lay there watching her victim with a degree of satisfaction she would not have felt could she have known what was passing in the girl's mind don's voice was clear and controlled when she spoke again all excitement seemed to have gone out of it but every word went straight to the mark like sharp steel you say i have robbed you of your son you may have him back at once i did not ask him to marry me and i cannot stay in your house if you doubt my word i shall never trouble either of you again she turned swiftly and silently went out of the room closing the door noiselessly behind her the old lady lay still in blank astonishment for any one to speak to her in that manner was unprecedented to disappear and leave no opportunity for rebuke was outrageous she felt helpless and outgeneraled not in years had her superiority been so rudely set aside as during this whole affair for the moment she was bewildered and lay thinking it over unable even to make up her mind whether or not she should pull the bell-rope and call some of the family to tell what had happened truth to tell she was mortified that her well-laid plan had ended so ignominiously dawn went swiftly across the hall to the door of her own room which she had left so joyously a short hour before the candles had burned low but the firelight was flickering softly over everything and made the room look like a very haven of comfort the poor child searched it furtively now to make sure that no one was there for just a moment she stood in the middle of the room looking about her hands clasped tragically over her heart her eyes full of unspoken agonies the whole ugly import of her new mother's words swept over her and seemed as if it would overwhelm her then she girded herself to carry out the resolution she had formed her proud nature stung to the quick on the big white bed lay her bonnet and mantle it was the work of but a moment to put them on though her fingers trembled so that she could scarcely tie the ribbons under her chin 
Charles had unfastened her trunk before he went down to supper and set it open for her. There on the top, where she had slipped it in after her stepmother had shut the trunk and gone downstairs, lay the somber gray frock she had worn at friend Ruth's school. She had put it in with sudden impulse, as being the only thing she had left of her girlhood. Mrs. Van Rensselaer had seen to it that her stepdaughter's outfit was perfect, as befitted the daughter of her father. No Winthrop should criticize her for lack of elaborate and costly outfit. But the gray dress which had been cast aside was the one Don had worn afternoons at the school, and it reminded her of pleasant days among the girls with carefree thoughts, a little gray girlhood which had nevertheless become bright in comparison to the new life. She snatched the gray frock, and in it wrapped a few light articles she felt she might need, taking only necessities, and of those but few. These she rolled tightly in the frock, pinned the bundle firmly, saw that it could be hidden under her mantle, caught up her handbag, which contained a purse with twenty-five dollars which her father had put into her hands when she left home, and was ready. She had not stopped to think how she was going to get out of the house without being seen. A glance out of the front window showed a balcony with a wrought iron railing which hung inside the white-pillared front piazza, but Charles and his father sat just below, talking in low, pleasant voices. She could not get out that way. Equally impossible, of course, would be the front door, even if she could get through the hall without Betty's seeing her. With one long look down at Charles, she put out a protesting hand toward him as if bidding him farewell. It wrung her heart to look at him. She turned quickly away, paused an instant in the middle of the room, and swept it with her eyes. Then, with a little tragic wave of renunciation, she went swiftly into the room beyond. The open desk caught her attention. She stopped and, taking up a pen, wrote on a sheet of paper, "'Good-bye. I had to go. Dawn.' She wrote hurriedly, feeling that she had but a brief respite for her flight. Then, casting down the pen, she went to one of the windows in the room and looked out. There was another balcony here, and she stepped out. It was dark, but the candlelight from the dining-room showed a terrace below. It did not look to be a great distance. For an ordinary runaway bride, this balcony would have been impossible as a mode of egress, but Dawn and her schoolmates had practiced all sorts of gymnastics from the windows and roof of the old barn, and even on the gables of the house itself. She knew how to drop like a cat from a considerable distance. She could swing from the great high limb of the old cherry-tree that overlooked the Hudson longer than any of the other girls, and then drop gracefully in their midst without ruffling her composure in the least. But to perform such a feat, attired in her first long dress of rustling silk, with a bonnet tied under her chin, and a bundle and a handbag to look after, to say nothing of doing it in an unknown and almost entirely dark place, was another thing. Dawn glanced back into the room, but could think of no other way. It wouldn't be pleasant to fall and break her leg at the outset, but she fancied she heard steps coming up the stairs, and to hesitate might bring discovery. She leaned quickly over the railing of the balcony and dropped her bundle down to the terrace. It fell with a hushed thud among the tall grass, and did not sound as if the distance were great. Twisting the cords of her handbag twice around her wrist, she swung her feet over the railing and stood on the outer edge of the balcony, holding the rail lightly and shaking out her skirt so that it would not impede her progress. Then she cautiously crept down, holding to the ironwork of the railing, and then to the floor of the balcony, and hung for a moment to get her breath and be sure of herself before she let go. Then, closing her eyes, she dropped to the terrace like a thistle-down in spite of the voluminous skirts. She paused an instant to pick up her bundle and make sure her handbag was safe. Then, gathering her skirt and holding it close with one hand, that her feet might be freer, she sped down the terrace and away into the unknown darkness. End of chapter 15